Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Ireland's classic hits. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Some great stories here today. Well, now, there's some pretty sad ones, by the way. And this one actually confuses me a little bit because I'm intrigued. A visitor to the Mercy University Hospital committed a crime that was described by the judges particularly mean. Now, does that indicate that it was very serious or just a little bit mean? Um, well, I'll tell you, I think sometimes when something is so below the belt, you, there are just no words left except for mean. So yeah, that's well, the only way it's to, a good word, to, isn't to it? describe yeah. in court. Yeah. Yeah, and it was mean. So there's a woman from Cork, Simon Community, she pleaded guilty to this test that um, it was in Cork, District Court, that she pled guilty along with four other tests, but it was noted by Judge Olin Kelleher um, that Lenehan had 14 previous convictions for, for theft, but this one kind of took the biscuit, really, to be honest. Because right, okay. She she had reached a particularly low ebb, and she actually stole um, from a woman on a bed, um, I'm sorry, on a trolley uh, in in a hospital. So you can see where the judge was coming from now. So I'm not sure. It doesn't say if she was a patient or whether it was, uh, uh, whether she's been an opportunist, uh, opportunist, or sorry, opportunist, what am I saying? (laughs) So on that that stage, Gardaí were attending the emergency medicine department of um, Mercy University Hospital in relation to a separate incident when it was brought to their attention that a theft had occurred. So the allegation was that it occurred in the A&E unicubicle where a mobile phone was taken from the hand of a woman on a trolley bed. So it wasn't even on the nightstand. It was just taken from her hand. So this woman was identified as a a suspect from CCTV by Gardaí and they patrolled and located her. So that was on May 4th, and the phone was valued as €225, but I think in this case it was more so the principle of it that really... It wouldn't have mattered if you stole a jelly bean from her, taking it from a patient's hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you you just feel so vulnerable. Imagine how vulnerable the victim felt. They were already on a trolley, and then somebody comes over and takes a phone out of your hand. So that's... That's a very bizarre crime altogether. And it, um, so, I, what was the sentence? Say, but, what was the sentence they got? Um, so it, she got um, eight months, I think. But let me let me double check that there because there was a few, there was a few other. Um, she had thirty-one previous convictions. Ah, for God's that was sake. including fourteen for for theft. And there was another recent one that I felt was quote unquote mean. Um, she, so she was in a restaurant and she actually paid for her food. And when the waitress's back was turned, she stole the tip bar, the tip jar. Oh no, um, this person again, has that, no that scruples. Had, yeah, apparently there was only 10 euro on it, 10 euro on it. Now, um, in her, in her defense, her solicitor said that she was falling into addiction, which it just, really goes to show the dehumanizing quality of addiction, doesn't it? What it can I do see, to I don't a buy person when they're just that. surviving and see, it's terrible. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that yeah. in 
um, an empathetic way. I just mean that sometimes it just seems to turn people into monsters. Oh, it does, yeah. That is a very Mm. inhumane um, thing to do. See, I Um, don't buy, you know, all this mitigating circumstances, you know, oh, your honour, at the time the person was an alcoholic or at the time the person had been homeless or they'd lost their job or they were on drugs or, or they weren't themselves. I, I, when it comes to sentencing and the judge says, well, there's mitigating circumstances, I don't believe that. You commit a crime, you commit a crime. I don't care what your state of mind at the time is. I really don't. You've committed a crime. The victim doesn't, you know, they have, have to take into consideration being a victim because of their state of mind at the time. You know what I mean? They're just the victim. And there was something particularly invasive about that crime. You talk about, it, it's similar to when people have their homes broken into two. Of course. They spend the rest of their lives living in this crime scene because they can't, they can't get over it. Um, So, yeah, I just, I just can't imagine being in that situation. Can you, where you're lying on a, first of all, I've never been on a hospital trolley, but to be in a hospital trolley and then have someone walk over and take your phone, the patient must have thought, oh my gosh, what, um, what, what just, what well, just happened. happened, yeah, absolutely. Now, another story, a psychotherapist has spoken about seeing children in need of professional help after being uh, benched multiple times and suffering intense criticism from coaches. Now, explain this to me, because I'm a little bit confused by this. Yeah, would you believe Dr. Susan Lawher, she, co- she co-founded Mental Health Initiative State of Mind Ireland with okay. her brother, the, um, the late Dr. Martin Lawler, So she explained that there are some former underage players as old as in their 40s. So they're enlisting her help due to the scarring effects of sport-related incidents. So this could be abuse from their coaches. And I'm just talking verbal abuse and Mm -hmm. um, from being benched a number of times and just feeling that sense of rejection has stayed with them. So she deals with children and adults of all ages and what she's basically telling um, people to be mindful of is she's she's telling people really they need to recognise the difference between constructive um, criticism and negative reinforcement. So she was saying that for young people it should be a case that it's just it's just for fun and that there is a bit of discipline involved, but... I understand that, but there's a bit of a weird thing going on in the world. Yeah, but there's a bit of a weird thing going on in the world at the moment that we're afraid to tell children that they've lost. Like, in, I know in Britain, they've stopped sports days, you know, in schools. And, and there's a bit of that going on over here and a bit of the kind of everyone's a winner situation that you're almost afraid to tell a child that they failed. And, you know, they're going to have failures in life. They have to deal with losing every now and again. And I think children nowadays, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all for the protection of children in any way we possibly can, but we can't wrap them up in cotton wool either. And this idea that, okay, you've been benched, maybe you weren't good, you know what I mean? Maybe you just, you were off form for a season or something like that, and the coach decides to bench you. I mean, that should be allowed to happen, shouldn't it? It should be, but I think that children should get the chance to play. There are some children who aren't getting the chance play at all at all and she's saying that when kids are not back so many times we're ultimately missing out and uh, future potential future sports stars so it's not just being benched uh, either it's I suppose it's a combination of the two when you get a, mm-hmm. 
a coach that particularly intense. We've all we've all oh, yeah, met we've one. Met I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember coaches from when I was young, and I just uh, hindsight is hindsight can be quite grim, can't it? When you're thinking about the way they deal with children, so I suppose it's. I I really believe we we shouldn't be sacrificing our children in the maybe, quest for perfection. Maybe there's a case of some kids. I wasn't sporty. I mean, the most common words said to me by sports coaches, if that's what you want to call them, they were school teachers for hurling and God, everything else. And when I was in primary school, was boiling. You're useless. That was the most common thing said to me. Because I'll be honest with you, I was useless. I'm not a sporty person. I'm more into radio and stuff like that. I don't like getting my hands and my feet dirty. So, and maybe there's a case that sometimes if a kid is playing soccer and he's not doing well and he gets benched quite a lot, it might teach him, well, I'm not good at soccer. Maybe I'll move on from this and I'll do GAA instead or do a bit of hurling or basketball or golf or something I'm better at rather than sticking around and the coach pretending I'm good by just giving me a game every now and again. We could be doing them a favour. Maybe I'm wrong, by the way. I could be completely wrong on that. But maybe we're doing them a favour by telling them just straight off the bat, they're useless, like... <laughs> I think sometimes I I really believe that there is sometimes there's no such thing as right and wrong in some cases sometimes there's a, a bit of both. Yeah, no, I, I I do agree, Sarah. There's a bit of, there can be a bit of both, but sometimes I don't know. Maybe it's the wrong thing to encourage a child to do something that they're not particularly good at because you're going to waste a year of their life where they could go off and be doing something else they might thrive in. Do you know what I mean? Like when my when my mum made me go play golf. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was terrible. <laughs> I, you know, I, this sounds really bad of me. And fierce sexist probably as well. No, actually, not, it's not even sexist because it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. But I just can't envisage you with a golf stick in your hand unless it's for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and you're calling it a golf stick, so that means you're worse at golf <laughs> than me. It's a golf club business. It is. Now, speaking of things, firefighters are facing mounting pressure as more people resort to setting bonfires to get rid of their household rubbish. Now, I have to say, I was only talking about this the other day, and I was saying, you know, that we see all this kind of rubbish, and like we've three bins, and, you know, you have your normal stuff, your recyclables, and then your foodies, right? Which, I, by the way, I hate the foodie bin that has the smell off it, right? Anyway, that's beside the point. And I said, in the old days, my mother would just chuck it all in the fire. Should be grand. Keep us all warm in the winter. You know what I mean? Now, I know Eamon Ryan wouldn't be too pleased with that in the Green Party, but as long as they're not, you know, burning out natural habitats and everything else, where are they burning this stuff? Do you want to you know what they're burning, first of all? Well, I'd like to know what they're burning. So, washing machines. Oh. Fridges. Oh. And they're doing it in the middle of greenways, apparently. So this is according to second officer, of course, City Fire Brigade, Victor Shine. He said that crews attended recent calls with dangerous bonfires that include, as I said, fridge freezers, washing machines, yeah. everything okay. and anything to fuel, to fuel the blaze. So sometimes uh, it's a case of somebody lighting a bonfire and someone said, someone saying, oh, well, I need to get rid of my washing machine. So... Um, maybe they'll chuck it in there. So uh, bonfire night, by the way, isn't until June 23rd. Do you celebrate that in, in Dublin? Is that a Cork thing? No, 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 no. they Cork? celebrate it in Dublin too. Yeah, well, when I say celebrate, I don't agree with, you know, these bonfires in the middle of housing estates, to be honest with you. You know, but but in saying yeah. that, who, who really thinks a washing machine burns? 
that. You know what I mean? Does somebody actually think that a washing machine burns or a fridge? Maybe they're, maybe they're curious. I, I'm not sure, but mm. this is what's happening. And um, as I said, bonfire night isn't until June 23rd, but there are a few people who figure this works well. Maybe I'll do it other days yeah, of the year yeah. too. Um, so See, I, I initially when I read the story, I thought it was just a few people just out their back gardens burning a bit of rubbish. You know what I mean? Microwaves are another one. Microwaves, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. They, so they don't it, burn it, either, by the way. Microwaves, they just no, don't, no, so. they they don't. They find out that the hard way. Yeah. I, I assume these yeah. these people. Um, but for uh, firefighters in Cork City Fire Brigade, it's been particularly difficult in recent years because they mentioned that. It, it can get quite nasty at these events. So there's the potential of being stoned or when I say stoned, having yeah. stones <laughs> thrown at them, not actually stoned, are <laughs> right. assaulted at these calls, which has But happened. that's what happens they, in Dublin here too. You know, only recently they're going back during the year in Cherry Orchard and Clondalkin when the guards and the, the local council of the firefighters went to put out bonfires for Halloween, which got out of control. You know, some of the local youths, as they call them, decided they, you know, they would throw stones at the police cars and the fire brigade. You know, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of it. it it's kind of sad because um, my my ex husband is a or was a firefighter, and I remember him having stories like that all the time. And he yep. was in Limerick, so it must just be happening everywhere. Um, but it's this this burning of freezers and white goods and everything else. It's also particularly harmful to people just living nearby who are suffering from respiratory issues. Uh, you can imagine the, mm-hmm. uh, that. It would be quite toxic, toxic wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be toxic. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. not very, um, it, it's not very considerate. So I know Cork City Council, a lot of the time they organize uh, events in lieu of bonfires. So maybe we could look up the, the website and see if there's anything this year, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not, it's not only, it's not just that. I mean, we're looking at greens that are such an amazing amenity to have and they're just And they're destroyed, yeah, with these bonfires. bald patches yeah, of black on them. Yeah, I get you, I get you. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a shame. Also, by the way, a cork man who was in and out of prison for 20 years has finally discovered the way to change and turn his life around. Has he gone straight? For the last six months, anyway, it's all go- yeah. so far so good. So John, o- John O'Driscoll, he's 42. He ran 30 miles in a time of one hour and 57 minutes. That was in the Cork City Marathon. And it just goes to show that your life can start at any time because he's saying that he got help and things are going well. And he just had enough of it all. 20 years drinking and drugging, those were his words. And he said he was just wasting his, his wasting his life. He said he felt fed up and overweight. And he saw the prison counsellor three times in the three months he was recently in prison. And that helped a lot. So yeah. he started working himself and he found, he, he, he found faith in, in prison. And mm-hmm. that also helped him since his release from custody. But... Yeah. He said he was talking about how the drinking and drugs had ruined his life and all his relationships bar his partner. Um, he said he's not only him, it wasn't only him that had enough, his family and his kids, they'd all had enough of it. So he got help from Cork Alliance. They, they're a great um, organization for 
prisoners post-release. So he started running with his best mate and that best mate, as he calls him here, he became like a sponsor and it's kind of like an unofficial therapy, really. Right, well, I'm glad I'm glad he has managed to go straight and hopefully he'll stay on the straight and narrow and uh, stay out of prison and hopefully stay out of trouble as well. And well done to him, by the way, particularly if he's going to do it and raise a bit of money for charity as well in the meantime. Also, by the way... Yeah, uh, that was the story, oh. sorry. That was the story from the Opinion Line in Cork, 96FM. Just, I forgot to credit them there. So, That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's been my old friend PJ Coogan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know all about. You've been reading up and about uh, about Cork. I've spoken to PJ many yeah. a times. Me and PJ are okay. We're all right. We're good buds. I, I thought I was your first Cork friend, but go on there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I kind of knew PJ before that, but I mean, it doesn't. You've kind of overtaken him, so that's okay. I talked to you more than I talked to him. Anyway, Munster cricket players were forced to run for cover after their game was hijacked by a swarm of. Now, it wasn't just like a few bees. It was 20,000. Did somebody count them? 20,000 honeybees. We used to call them shuggies, by the way. Honeybees. Shuggies. Was that a, was that a thing or was that just you? Uh, my, my mother. Okay, but there, was, there was wasps. There was bumblers, which are the kind of black and yellowy lads. And then there was yeah. honeybees, which are like, we used to call them shuggies, which are this kind of brownish, kind of yellowy bees, aren't they? Okay, so I call them shuggies in the article for, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so Munster cricket players, they were forced to take over after a swarm of 20,000 honeybees, or as many shuggies. calls them, shuggies, <laughs> descend, <laughs> descended on and delayed their game in court. So the Munster Reds were taking on the Northern Knights at Cork County Cricket Club when the insects made a beeline as very, uh, that was good pun. That was a nice pun there. Like, it wasn't mine. I'm it sorry, was mine. Sorry, you're up there in the big league now so, with those puns. You know, <laughs> so they made a beeline for the pitch and a play was halted for over an hour. For, for over an hour. But wait till you hear about Cork, B, uh, Cork beekeeper Mauro Diaz. Um, mm. He was calling the calls in basically to save the day and get the situation under control. And he got all the, the bees and he picked them up with his bare hands. What a man. No. No, um, pr- no, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how he managed it. No protective gear or anything. Did he no blow that smoky there. stuff at them first to kind of doze them? Because they're all, you know, that they normally nope. blow that smoky stuff at them first. Doesn't say anything about smoky stuff. Or, <laughs> uh, that's, for, that's, that's, that's your name for smoky stuff on the shuggies. Did he yeah. put smoky stuff on the shuggies? <laughs> So he said that when honeybees are in swarm mode, they don't go around stinging people, so we don't need to be afraid. So that's why he was able to handle them with his bare hands. Right. And he said he's used to them. He knows how to treat them. So they, were, they weren't in attacky mode. They were just trying to, attack, to protect the queen and all stick together. So the last thing they want to do is kill themselves because they... When they sing, that's what happens. They they um, they, they they die themselves. But I didn't know they they knew that themselves. They're very clever, aren't they? Bees. Yeah, like, um, like suicide was, bombers. Yeah, in a way they are, aren't they? Um, I'm going to be struck down by lightning or something there. Yeah, I know. Um, Same. That's what they did in the war, wasn't it? Suicide bombers. Yeah, yeah, it was. The, it the was. Bees, bees are like that if they sting you because once they sting you, that's it, game up. Although I don't know about wasps. Do wasps die when they sting you? I hate them. Um, I I hope they die after they 
seeing seeing yeah. you because that would be good enough for them because I, went, I I remember being young and picking up a wasp's nest and ending up in uh, A&E because they, um, it was, it was see, September and the they me all over. Here's the thing, Sarah. I did the same when I was young. I was 12 or 13 with a mate of mine, Brian, and we went down to the local field and we found a wasp's nest. And we thought, in all our wisdom at 12 or 13 years of age, with a lighter and some paper in our hands, it would be a good idea to set fire to it and see what happened. So I got stung seven times as I ran across the field with the wasps chasing me. And uh, he got stung a few times too on the neck and the face and everywhere else. But his, you said, you know, when you picked up a hive. See, so you was picked up their home. Like, if I but picked I up your know, home. I didn't know what I was picking up. Uh, I didn't know what I was picking up. And I picked it up. You set them on fire. That's much worse. Oh, you it can't is. go around setting, setting wasps on I know, I shouldn't. Fire, it was a very evil thing to do as a, chi- as a child. But then again, I was a child, so I didn't understand how stupid I was. But in saying that, yeah, I, I'm not too sure whether the wasps die or not. Because normally when they sting you, they say stuck to you. You're supposed to be careful because... If you if a wasp stings you, you can see him. He's still there. He's stuck into your skin. And they say if you pull him off, like if you lift him off, you squeeze him, which squeezes more of the venom into you. So you're supposed to flick it with your finger. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember what I did that day. Um, mm. But so I do remember going into A&E that day. I don't know. Did you have to go to, did you go to hospital? No, with no, all? It's, no. it's not a competition, but I was obviously much worse. But... Um, my mother just told me to show up crying, stop crying. Like. <laughs> I know I was with my granny, that was my saving grace. But when I went to AE that day and someone went over, they um, took the wind out of my sails because they said, Oh, you're the eighth child to come into us with wasp things today and share your grand. I yeah, was yeah, expect- what, I was I'm wondering why grand. you went to hospital with a bee sting. I was I had these things everywhere and it looked like my head had swelled up. Oh, and, okay. Um, yeah, they didn't. They thought I'd like some weird allergic reaction, but yeah, I was a bit precious, wasn't I? Yeah, well, I, I was eleven. Well, no, well, no. I suppose if somebody was concerned because you were swelling up, I mean, normally with a bee sting, you wouldn't swell up that much. But some people can be allergic to them, and it can be very dangerous. But generally speaking, they're reasonably harmless, unless you got a lot on. Yeah. But what I want to know, for just very quickly yeah. before you finish. Who counted them? Because it says in the piece, written by a brilliant Cork journalist, it says in the piece there was 20,000 of these bees. So did somebody go, or it was just like, oh, it looks like 20,000? I won't, but maybe they usually, maybe an average of, um, I don't know, why don't you ask Sally Gorman, who wrote the article, will... We, because we'll now to, I'm curious, how did they know it was 20,000? Maybe is that the average kind of number they normally go swar- around? Swarming. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. what they swarm in in 20,000s. So maybe when they all yeah. go out, they go, lads, we've only got 19,500. Can you drop up another 500 out of the, the nest there <laughs> and bring them with us? Lovely talking to you, Sarah. Once, once again, you're very entertaining apart from anything else with some wonderful news stories. And we shall talk to you again next Monday night. Thank you very much indeed, Sarah. Okay, thank you. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Ireland's classic.